Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. Good morning. Good morning. I want to cut right to the chase. (laughs) I'm sitting in eager anticipation. (laughs) I want you to tell me everything you know about morphogenic fields. Ah, everything I know about morphogenic fields. Well, I might have to open some notes here, but I think that the way that I relate to morphogenic fields is a little bit like the way I relate to dark matter. Um, it's a resonance. Uh, it's an it's a carrier of frequencies, a carrier of energy. If we if we can distill matter down to one thing, it is that every bit of matter carries a frequency that is made of energy, right? Mm-hmm. Like we we may appear solid, but we're really just really dense particles right? Really dense atomic particles that have become solid enough to give us form to move through the world. But around me in the negative space are also atomic particles that, um, that, that both receive my energy and frequency, transmit it. And so my energy and frequency is not just contained in this form, it dissipates, right? So Morphogenic fields are that sort of space where energy um, gets dissipated, gets shared, gets entangled. Maybe that's a good word for it. And you know, you think about like, how can I look at you over Zoom and detect energy, right? By facial expressions, by the way you're holding your body, um, by the glimmer or not in your eyes. Right. So a lot of communication happens that gives me an idea of the energy that you're coming with. If I were blind, I don't know how I would do that via Zoom, but we know that people who lose a sense, for example, gain acuity in other senses. So I might be able to sense something in the tone of your voice or or even just sense something in the long pauses. Every Mm -hmm. single thing carries energy and frequency and morphogenic fields, as I understand it are kind of the carriers of that energy between all things, not just human beings, but all things. Mm -hmm. Now you're wondering, you're wondering where this question comes from. Well, I'm guessing Judy Canato, but I don't know if it's more specific than that. It is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Judy Canato is connected and so is Ilya Delio with her concept of divine entanglement and Peter Berger is connected because of a book he wrote years ago called Rumor of Angels. Mm-hmm. Well, before we knew anything about morphogenic field. Yeah. So I am doing the eulogy at a memorial service Sunday afternoon for a very beloved member of this church, Peggy Odom. Mm. Peggy Odom. Um, I knew when she was at church, I knew when she was here, because when I came uh, and and drove into the campus, Peggy, she had a robin eggshell blue 
um, Thunderbird. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And she parked it in backwards. Mm -hmm. Always parked it in backwards. And I asked her one time why she did that. And she said, well, I've heard that that's the safest way to park your car in case you need to leave in a hurry. And then she paused and she said, and I love to make a grand exit. Okay. Uh -huh. So Peggy has been in hospice care and I had not had that memory of Peggy in her car until 32 weeks ago at about 10, 20 in the morning when I was getting ready to get into my own car to go run an errand. And on the movie screen of my mind was this conglomerate of Peggy's car parked in backwards and her telling me I like to make a grand exit. And it was at that moment that she died. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, Buddhism has a way to understand that. It makes <laughs> perfect sense. And I wonder, is that fit in the field of morphogenic field? In, in my opinion, yes, because if you think if morphogenic fields is a is a technology of communication. Yeah, right. And, and so and everything is communicating all of the time. So I wrote something last night and this relates because I realized as I was writing it, that's not what I mean. I wrote something like we need to be and become love. And I corrected myself and said, rather, we need to realize that we already are. Right. Love, right. And that's kind of like morphogenic fields. These that that pattern of communication is already there. Where we deepen consciousness is kind of tapping into it. Right. We might right. think of it in the Christian tradition like prayer, tapping into these ways of considering or thinking about um, other people, the state of the world, divine, etc. Prayer is a technology that sort of is, is a form of communication, mm -hmm. right? And, and the truth is that this, this grand cosmos is communicating with itself all of the dang time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can have these moments of sinking into it in a way that connection is felt like the Thunderbird moment, imagining Peggy and her Thunderbird and there she went driving mm -hmm. that Thunderbird to the great, great beyond, right? <laughs> um, well, a number of years yeah. ago, I had a series of experiences about someone very dear to me who had died and they were just astounding. And I was talking to a good Buddhist friend of mine, a man I consider a devout Buddhist. Um, and I told him about what had happened. It was like a Thunderbird, that Thunderbird moment. And he said, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. That when people die, they enter what we call the bardo, where they stay mm -hmm. for a period of time. Yes. And in the bardo, it's all the time, all the time. Yeah, So right. uh, yeah. people can go into the future, into the past, and blah, blah, blah. And so that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I didn't grow up with that kind of theology. Um, but those moments seem to me to be beyond just coincidences. For sure. In the Bardo, by the way, we're in it. 
all the time. We're in all time, all the time. In your 84, 85 year old body, okay, I won't give you 85 yet, <laughs> um, is your newborn self, your five-year-old self, your 25-year-old self, et cetera, et cetera. In your body is also that pure energy. You know, we have to ask ourselves also, what do we think about the separation between body and soul? I don't think there is one. I think the body is the container through which the soul expresses itself. When the body stops moving, does the soul leave the body? Or is the body just still enough that we become pure energy? You know, because Peggy's body, whatever happens to her body, whether she's buried or cremated, right? It's, it's, I mean, these are such great philosophical questions because, you know, Descartes said that we have a body and a soul and that we can actually experience the soul apart from the body. And that type of dualism set us on a dangerous path right. of, of considering just the soul as energy, but our body actually carries that energy too. Maybe when the body stops moving, it releases the energy. I, I don't know, because in some ways the body is tightly held is constrained. Um, our imaginations are never constrained. We can, we can dream of things far beyond the body, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that energetic field is actually always intact. We're actually, can think about the dream you had last night. We're in Bardo, we're in all time, all the time. But it's in those moments of loss of ego, loss of constriction, of letting go, where we're actually feel ourselves in it so what what it occurred to me to say in the in honoring her is that we all exist in an enchanted universe all the time mm -hmm. but we don't live in that enchanted universe unless we, we are aware of that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and of course the safest and the most nourishing way to become aware, you know what I'm going to say. Spiritual practice. Is to have a daily spiritual practice. <laughs> and use your blinkers. Um. And, 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 and so I, I think, you know, we have these moments like somebody's death that we love that absolutely pierces our heart. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Because it, yeah, it can become a teaching moment. For sure. And, and also, you know, think about memory as kind of a morphogenic field. I can recall my granny in an instant. She's been dead for over 25 years. And I can recall her presence in an instant. That ability to remember enlivens the morphogenic field, sinks me into it, right? I, I also have been thinking a lot about the things, you know, think about the things that we have never witnessed or seen or known. There's a lot of history that happened before us. There's a lot of history that there's a lot of future that will come after us, but really our, our bodies, the earth, um, everything that we engage with has some level of interaction with all of history. You know, they say that when we breathe in, we breathe in molecules that are billions of years old. When we breathe out, we're seeding 
the molecules for another life, for something else to be born. You know, so yeah, we're always in that Bardo space. But and we can't always live there because we have to do things like go to the grocery store, <laughs> make dinner, take care of a sick child, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it occurs to me that um, when it takes things like uh, a death to do this heart piercing that's necessary for awakening, that that doesn't offer people comfort and security. And I'm trying to find a way. Uh, I mean, I, let me back up and say this in another way. Over the years, when people have, have said to me about something I have taught, well, you don't give me anything to hang on to. And I have thought, yes, that's what I intended. But now I'm thinking, you know, maybe that's not the most pastorally helpful thing to say. Um, but I don't know how to deliver the bad good news that discomfort comes before comfort on the spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We get disrupted and we learn that the old ways of learning no longer serve us. And in that disruption, something new arises. Actually, something new was always there. We just begin to notice it differently. If we're willing, if we go in with our eyes wide open and the word like distillation comes to mind. I think this needing to have something to hold on to is um, human nature. It seems we're, we're kind of grasping creatures, right? We want we want to understand and know and, and experience concretely. And so the invitation that I've been thinking about is maybe if we just distill, if the word is God or sacred mystery or just mystery by itself, if we distill that to the one thing that we can hold on to, for me, it's love, right? And so I'm pursuing love to its end the best I can in this lifetime mm -hmm. all the rest is details for me you know so I think the question I guess let me phrase it as a question for anyone who's listening what can you distill your experience of God mystery the divine whatever you name it down to what is the one thing and that's the thing you can hold on to that's the thing that you can create a life and service of Mm -hmm. you know and for you that's love for me that's love and to me love and justice are deeply intertwined mm -hmm. um, spirituality love and justice all braided <laughs> mm -hmm. so i would want to add to that certainly the i mean i certainly affirm the importance of love i would want to add to that the importance of truth and honesty mm-hmm so to me, love holds all of those things. So if I, I mm -hmm. distill it down to love, which makes it sound like it's one tiny point, but actually love then simultaneously is this giant container that can hold itself and all of its opposites, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, 
Yeah. So what is that? So I like that your you so your words, if you distilled that down to that single point, would be truth and honesty, integrity, maybe. Well, I would, I, yeah, I would. I certainly am not going to argue with your fact that love includes all that, but and I simply want to um, lift up the importance of truth telling and honesty in a culture where we have so little of it. Yeah. Absolutely. I think truth telling is an act of love. I've just finished reading a book by a man named Duke Robinson called Why the Western Church is Shooting Itself in, a, in the Foot, the Self-Destructive Habit of, the, of Organized Christianity. And, you know, there are aspects of both the church and the Christian movement that I love, mm-hmm. and there are aspects of it that I'm embarrassed about and should be changed. But one of the things that it's a big problem for organized Christianity is the difficulty handling the truth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think about the truth about the pedophile scandals. I think the truth about organized Christianity's complicitness in the racial injustice from the beginning in this country. Heck yeah. And, and it's just so difficult to get well-meaning people in the church to say, yeah, that's part of who, that's part of our history. That's part of our legacy and part of the legacy that, that, that we have to integrate in order to kind of, to, to reckon, right? We can't, we cannot have a reckoning. We cannot have reparation if we refuse to, to integrate these truths. Right, right. I, uh, I want to share with you a memory that I've had. I'm not sure that it's appropriate here, but it, it needs to fit somewhere. When I was um, probably in the second, third, or fourth grade, somewhere in there in my growing up, I got a glass, solid glass thing that was an ashtray. And I melted paraffin and put in the bottom of this ashtray, this glass ashtray. And then I got me a stencil of an old English letter K. And I put it in the bottom of the ashtray over the paraffin, over the wax. And I cut out the wax to make a, a old English character, the letter K because that was my last name, my last name being K. And then I put sulfuric acid into this thing and left it for a couple of days. So the sulfuric acid would etch in the bottom of the, in, in the bottom of this ashtray, the letter K, so that I could give it to my father as a Father's Day gift even though my father didn't smoke. I was going to ask, did your dad smoke? <laughs> no. I did this when I was eight or yeah. nine. Uh-huh. So you can imagine an eight or nine-year-old boy being involved in melting the wax, in cutting with an exacto knife, in handling sulfuric acid, <laughs> right? 
Yeah. And where did I do this, Holly? Uh, in your bathroom? In vacation Bible school in a Baptist church in Tennessee. You made an ashtray with sulfuric acid. As part of vacation Bible school. Oh, that is hilarious. <laughs> I don't know why that image has been in my mind for a while, but I wanted to tell that story about yeah. we did that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's just we so did that. there's so many paradoxes. There's just so many, you know, we talk out of both sides of our mouths all the time. We say one thing and do another. We say don't smoke, drink, or dance, and then make ashtrays for our fathers, you know, <laughs> in the church, in the church. Uh, but you can immediately be forgiven for it. So that's, that's, that's the gift there <laughs> because you were in church. It's a, it's a wonder there were not, were not some serious injuries in that vacation Bible school. Class. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> um, my household is erupting. Um, <laughs> so the, the, the point of this podcast then is that we live, we exist in this enchanted universe and our work is to be aware of that. For sure. I mean, this is not, um, I wonder if that isn't the human phenomenon period, right? To become aware. You've mentioned Owen Barfield before, the philosopher who wrote um, Saving the Appearances. Uh-huh. And, and I believe that that's what he would refer to as final participation, that our, that our final participation is to become one with, as we started this podcast talking about morphogenic fields, to become one with it. Teilhard de Chardin's idea of the evolution of the universe is that we just become pure energy. We become pure spirit. Where I wrestle with that is that we still have form and, and any leaning towards becoming pure spirit or pure energy still lends itself to mind-body dualism. Yep. Can we observe and be in awe of this cosmos without a body? I, I don't think so. No. At least I can't imagine it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, you've answered my question, and I'm, I think what I will say, I haven't written it yet in the homily is, uh, since I'm not a scientist and don't really understand morphogenic fields, I can explain it to you. That's right. <laughs> in layman's <laughs> sir. Um, what, you know, I think of the three things I think about when I think of morphogenic fields are um, that you know, it's, it's a communication system, if you will, um, dark matter. I mentioned that earlier, and they think that dark matter is that which keeps the universe from flying apart. Um, so it holds us in tension, right? right? It's like the negative space around us that keeps these walls from blowing off around me. And then also the string theory, the butterfly effect, right? That, that, yeah, that, that's part of the morphogenic yeah. field thing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, is that a, a butterfly who flaps its wings in the Philippines may engender a tsunami on the west coast of the United States. And, or what is that wonderful poem, Thou Canst? Thou Canst Pluck a Flower Without the Stirring of a Star. Right. Right? I love that. Yeah. Well, I must go. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Go off into your morphogenic fields of which you are already a part. Okay. (laughs) Bye. Love you. Bye.
Thank you.